Chapter Eight of Historical Mysteries. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fame Mendoza. Historical Mysteries by Andrew Lang. Chapter Eight: The Strange Case of Daniel Dunglas Home. The case of Daniel Dunglas Home is said in the Dictionary of National Biography to present a curious and unsolved problem. It really presents, I think, two problems equally unsolved, one scientific and the other social. How did Mr. Home, the son of a Scottish mother in the lower middle class at highest, educated as far as he was educated at all in a village of Connecticut? attain his social position i do not ask why he was taken up by members of noble english families the caresses of the great may be lavished on athletes and actors and musicians and holmes remarkable performances were quite enough to make him welcome in country houses moreover he played the piano the accordion and other musical instruments for his mysterious gift he might be invited to puzzle and amuse royal people not in england and continental emperors and kings but he did much more than what houdin or alexis a conjurer and a clairvoyant could do he successively married with the permission and good will of the czar two russian ladies of noble birth a feat inexplicable when we think of the rules of the continental noblesse a duke or a prince or a marquis may marry the daughter of an american citizen who has made a fortune in lard but the daughters of the russian noblesse do not marry poor american citizens with the goodwill of the czar by his marriages home far outwent such famous charlatans as cagliostro mesmer and the mysterious saint germain the deathless cagliostro and saint germain both came on the world with an appearance of great wealth and display the source of the opulence of st germain is as obscure as was the source of the sudden enrichment of beau wilson whom law the financier killed in a duel cagliostro like law may have acquired his diamonds by gambling or swindling but neither these two men nor mesmer though much in the society of princes could have hoped openly and with the approval of louis the fifteenth or louis the sixteenth to wed a noble lady yet home did so twice though he had no wealth at all cagliostro was a low-born neapolitan ruffian but he had a presence in the memoirs of madame d'oberkirk she tells us how much she disliked and distrusted cagliostro always avoiding him and warning cardinal rohan against him in vain but she admits that the man dominated her or would have dominated her by something inexplicable in his eyes his bearing and his unaccountable knowledge as when he publicly announced on a certain day the death of the great empress maria theresa of which the news did not arrive till five days later now home had none of this dominating personality he has been described to me by a lady who knew him in his later years when he had ceased to work drawing-room miracles in society 
as a gentle kindly quiet person with no obvious fault unless a harmless and childlike vanity be a fault thus he struck an observer not of his intimate circle he liked to give readings and recitations and he played the piano with a good deal of feeling he was a fair linguist he had been a catholic he was of the middle order of intelligence he had no mission except to prove that disembodied spirits exist if that were a legitimate inference from the marvels which attended him mr robert bell in the cornell magazine volume two year eighteen sixty described holmes miracles in an article called stranger than fiction his account of the man's personality is exactly like what i have already given home was a very mild specimen of familiar humanity his health was bad the expression of his face in repose he was only twenty-seven is that of physical suffering there is more kindliness and gentleness than vigour in the character of his features he is yet so young that the playfulness of boyhood has not passed away and he never seems so thoroughly at ease with himself and others as when he is enjoying some light and temperate amusement thus there was nothing in home to dominate or even to excite personal curiosity he and his more intimate friends not marchionesses but middle-class people corresponded in a style of rather distasteful effusiveness he was a pleasant young man in a house not a don juan i have never heard a whisper about light loves unless mr hamilton aida to be quoted later reports such a whisper not a word against his private character except that he allowed a terribly vulgar rich woman to adopt him and give him a very large sum of money later withdrawn we shall see that she probably had mixed motives both for giving and for withdrawing the gift but it was asserted though on evidence far from sound that the spirits had wrapped out a command to give home some thirty thousand pounds spirits ought not to do these things and certainly it would have been wiser in home to refuse the widow's gold even if they did beyond this one affair and an alleged case of imposture at a seance home's private character raised no scandals that have survived into our knowledge it is a very strange thing as we shall see that the origin of home's miracles in broad daylight or artificial light could never be traced to fraud or indeed to any known cause while the one case in which imposture is alleged on first-hand evidence occurred under condition of light so bad as to make detection as difficult as belief in such circumstances ought to have been impossible it is not easy to feel sure that we have certainly detected a fraud in a dim light but it is absurd to believe in a miracle when the conditions of light are such as to make detection difficult given this mild young musical man the problems of how he achieved his social successes and how he managed to escape exposure if he did his miracles by conjuring are almost equally perplexing the second puzzle is perhaps the less hard of the two for home did not make money as a medium though he took money's worth and in private society few seized and held the mystic hands that moved about or when they seized they could not hold them the hands melted away so people said a sketch of home's life must now be given
He was born in 1833 at Curry, a village near Edinburgh. In his later years, he sent to his second wife a photograph of the street of cottages beside the burn, in one of which he first saw the light. His father had a right to bear the arms of the earls of Home, with a bridger, being the natural son of Alexander, 10th Earl of Home. The medium's ancestor had fought, or, according to other accounts, had shirked fighting at Flodden Field, as is popularly known from the Ballad of the Suitors of Selkirk. The maiden name of Holmes' mother was MacNeil. He was adopted by an aunt who, about 1842, carried the wondrous child to America. He had, since he was four years old, given examples of second sight. It was in the family. Holmes' mother, who died in 1850, was second-sighted, as were her great-uncle, an Urquhart, and her uncle, a Mackenzie. So far, there was nothing unusual or alarming in Holmes' case, at least to any intelligent Highlander. Not till 1850, after his mother's death, did Holmes begin to hear loud blows on the head of my bed, as if struck by a hammer. The Wesley family, in the year 1716 to 1717, had been quite familiar with this phenomenon and with other wrappings and movements of objects untouched. In fact, all these things are of worldwide diffusion, and I know no part of the world savage or civilized where such events do not happen, according to the evidence. In no instance, as far as I am informed, did anything extraordinary occur in connection with home, which cannot be paralleled in the accounts of Egyptian mediums in Iamblichus. In 1850, America was interested in the Rochester knockings and the case of the Fox Girls, a replica of the old Cock Lane case which amused Dr. Johnson and Horace Walpole, the Fox girls became professional mediums and, long afterwards, confessed that they were impostors. They were so false that their confession is of no value as evidence, but certainly they were humbugs. The air was full of talk about them and other people like them. When home, aged seventeen, was so constantly attended by noises of rappings that his aunt threw a chair at him, summoned three preachers, an independent, a Baptist, and a Wesleyan, home was then a Wesleyan, and plunged into conflict with the devil. The furniture now began to move about, untouched by man, and Holmes' aunt turned him out of the house. Home went to a friend in another little town. People crowded to witness the phenomena, and the press blazoned the matter abroad. Henceforth, home was a wonder worker. But once for a whole year, February 1856 to February 1857, the power entirely deserted him, and afterwards for shorter periods. In 1852, he was examined by the celebrated American poet, Bryant, by a professor of Harvard, and others who reported the usual physical phenomena, and emphatically declared that we know we were not imposed upon or deceived spirits spoke through the voice of the entranced home or wrapped out messages usually gushing and home floated in the air at the house of mr ward Cheney at south manchester connecticut this phenomenon is constantly reported in the bible 
in the lives of the saints by the bolandists in the experiences of the early irvingites in rich trials in iamblichus and in savage and european folklore lord elko who was out with prince charles in the forty five writes in his unpublished memoirs that being at rome about seventeen sixty seven he went to hear the evidence in the process of canonizing a saint recently dead and heard witnesses swear that they had seen the saint while alive floating about in the air like home saint theresa was notorious for this accomplishment home's first feat of this kind occurred in a darkened room a very dark room indeed as the evidence shows it had been darkened on purpose to try an experiment in seeing n-rays which had been recently investigated by reichenbach science has brought them recently back into notice the evidence for the fact in this case was that people felt home's feet in mid-air i have been lifted in the light of day only once and that was in america also in the light of four gas lamps in a room in sloan street after attracting a good deal of notice in new york home on april ninth eighteen fifty five turned up at cox's hotel german street where mr cox gave him hospitality as a non-paying guest now occurred the affair of sir david brewster and lord brougham both were capable of hallucinations lord brougham published an account of common deathbed wraith which he saw once while in a bath the vision coincided with the death of the owner of the wraith and sir david's daughter tells us how that philosopher saw that of the rev mr lyon in st leonard's college st andrews a wraith of whose owner was in perfect health sir david sent letters forming a journal to his family and in june no day given eighteen fifty five described his visit to home he says that he lord brougham mr cox and home sat down at a moderately sized table the structure of which we were invited to examine in a short time the table shuddered and a tremulous motion ran up our arms the table actually rose from the ground when no hand was upon it a larger table was produced and exhibited similar movements an accordion was held in lord brougham's hand and gave out a single note a small handbell was then laid with its mouth on the carpet and after lying for some time it actually rang when nothing could have touched it the bell was then placed upon the other side still upon the carpet and it came over to me and placed itself in my hand it did the same to lord brougham these were the principal experiments we could give no explanation of them and could not conjecture how they could be produced by any kind of mechanism we do not believe that it was the work of spirits so sir david wrote in a private letter of june eighteen fifty five just after the events but the affair came to be talked about and on september twenty ninth eighteen fifty five sir david wrote to the morning advertiser he had seen he said several mechanical effects which i was unable to explain but i saw enough to convince myself that they could all be produced by human feet and hands though he also in june could not conjecture how they could be produced by any kind of mechanism later october nine sir david again wrote to the newspaper 
this time he said that he might have discovered the fraud had he been permitted to take a peep beneath the drapery of the table but in june he said that he was invited to examine the structure of the table he denied that a large table was moved about in a most extraordinary way in june he had asserted that this occurred he declared that the bell did not ring in june he averred that it rang when nothing could have touched it in october he suggested that machinery attached to the lower extremities of mr holmes's body could produce the effects in june we could not conjecture how they could not be produced by any kind of mechanism on sir david's death his daughter and biographer mrs gordon published in the year eighteen sixty nine his letter of june eighteen fifty five home then scored rather freely as the man of science had denied publicly in october eighteen fifty five what he had privately written to his family in june eighteen fifty five when the events were fresh in his memory this was not the only case in which a scientist of european reputation did not increase his reputation for common veracity in his attempts to put down home the adventures of home in the courts of europe his desertion of the errors of wesleyan methodism for those of the church of rome his handsome entertainment by diamond-giving emperors his expulsion from rome as a sorcerer and so forth cannot be dealt with here for lack of space we come to the great home browning problem in eighteen fifty five home met mr and mrs browning at the house of a mr rymer at ealing the first of only two meetings on this occasion says home a wreath of clematis rose from the table and floated towards mrs browning behind whom her husband went and stood the wreath settled on the lady's head not on that of mr browning who home thought was jealous of the favour this is manifestly absurd soon after all but mr rymer were invited to leave the room two days later mr browning asked to be allowed to bring a friend for another seance but the arrangement of the rymers with whom home was staying made this impossible later home with mrs rymer called on the brownings in town and mr browning declined to notice home there was a scene and mrs browning who was later a three-quarters believer in spirits was distressed in eighteen sixty four after mrs browning's death mr browning published mr sludge the medium which had the air of a personal attack on home as a detected and confessing american impostor such is home's account it was published in eighteen seventy two and was open to contradiction i am not aware that mr browning took any public notice of it in july eighteen eighty nine the late mr f w h myers and professor w f barrett published in the journal of the society for psychical research page one hundred and two the following statement we have found no allegations of fraud in home on which we should be justified in laying much stress mr robert browning has told to one of us mr myers the circumstances which mainly led to that opinion of home which was expressed in mr sludge the medium it appears 
that a lady since dead repeated to mr browning a statement made to her by a lady and gentleman since dead as to their finding home in the act of experimenting with phosphorus on the production of spirit lights which so far as mr browning remembers were to be rubbed around the walls of the room near the ceiling so as to appear when the room was darkened this piece of evidence powerfully impressed mr browning but it comes to us at third hand without written record and at a distance of nearly forty years clearly this story is not evidence against home but several years ago an eminent writer whom i need not name published in a newspaper another version mr browning had told him he said that sitting with home and mrs browning apparently alone these three in a darkened room he saw a white object rise above the table this home represented as the phantasm of a child of mr and mrs browning which died in infancy mr browning seized the phantasm which was home's naked foot but it must be remembered that one mr and mrs browning had no child which died in infancy and two mrs browning's belief survived the shock on december five nineteen o two in the times literary supplement a letter by mr r barrett browning appeared he says mr hume who subsequently changed his name to home home is pronounced hume in scotland was detected in a vulgar fraud for i have heard my father repeatedly describe how he caught hold of his foot under the table in the other story the foot was above the table in the new version no infant phantasma occurs moreover to catch a man's foot under the table in itself proves nothing what was the foot doing and why did mr browning not tell this but quite a different story to mr myers we get no forearder on november twenty eighth nineteen o two mr merrifield in the times literary supplement published a letter on august thirty eighteen fifty five from mrs browning to mr godrian as to the seance with the brownings at ealing mrs browning enclosed a letter from mr browning giving his impressions mine i must frankly say were entirely different wrote mrs browning and Holmes says mrs browning was much moved and she not only then but ever since expressed her entire belief and pleasure in what occurred in her letter mrs browning adds for my own part and in my own conscience i find no reason for considering the medium in question responsible for anything seen or heard on that occasion but i consider that the seeking for intercourse with any particular spirit would be apt to end either in disappointment or delusion and she uses the phrase the supposed spirits this lady who wrote thus at the time cannot conceivably have been looking for the ghost of a child that never was born and been deceived by home's white foot which mr browning then caught hold of an incident which mrs browning could not have forgotten by august thirty eighteen fifty five if it occurred in july of that year yet mr blank 
has published the statement that mr browning told him that story of holmes foot dead child and all and mr blank is a man of undoubted honour and of the acutest intelligence mr browning august thirty eighteen fifty five assured miss dagogian that he held the whole display of hands spirit utterances and to be a cheat and imposture he acquitted the rhymers at whose house the seance was held of collusion and spoke very highly of their moral character but he gave no reason for his disbelief and said nothing about catching hold of holmes foot either under or above the table he simply states his opinion the whole affair was melancholy stuff how can we account for the story of mr browning and holmes foot can poets possess an imagination too exuberant or a memory not wholly accurate but mr merrifield had written on august eighteen eighteen fifty five a record of an ealing seance of july eighteen fifty five about fourteen people sat round a table in a room of which two windows opened on the lawn the nature of the light is not stated there was heaving up of the table tapping playing an accordion under the table and so on no details are given but there were no visible hands later by such light as exists when the moon has set on a july night helm gave another seance the outlines of the windows we could well see and the form of any large object intervening before them though not with accuracy of outline in these circumstances in a light sufficient he thinks mr merrifield detected an object resembling a child's hand with a long white sleeve attached to it and also attached to home's shoulder and arm and moving as home moved a lady who later became mrs merrifield corroborated this is the one known alleged case of detection of fraud on home's part given on first-hand evidence and written only a few weeks after the event one other case i was told by the observer very many years after the event and in this case fraud was not necessarily implied it is only fair to remark that mr f w h myers thought these phantasmal arms instructive in more than one respect as supplying a missing link between mere phantasms and ectoplastic phenomena now this is the extraordinary feature in the puzzle there are many attested accounts of hands seen in home's presence in a good light with no attachment and no fraud is known ever to have been detected in such instances the strange fact is that if we have one record of a detection of home in a puerile fraud in a faint light we have none of a detection in his most notable phenomena in a good light to take one example in the nineteenth century for april eighteen ninety six mr hamilton aid published the following statement of which he had made the record in his diary more than twenty years ago mr aid also told me the story in conversation he was prejudiced against home whom he met at nice 
in the house of a Russian lady of distinction. His very physical manifestations, I was told, had caused his expulsion from more than one private house. Of these aberrations, one has not heard elsewhere. Mr. Aide was asked to meet M. Alphonse Carr, one of the hardest-headed, the wittiest, and most skeptical men in France, a well-merited description, at a seance with home. Mr. Aide's prejudice, M. Carr's hard-headed skepticism, proved them witnesses not biased in favor of hocus-pocus. The two arrived first at the villa, and were shown into a very large, uncarpeted, and brilliantly lighted salon. The furniture was very heavy. The tables were mostly of marble, and none of them had any cloths upon them. There were about twenty candles in sconces, all lit, and a moderator lamp in the centre of the ponderous round rosewood table at which we were to sit. Mr. Aide examined the room carefully, and observed that wires could not possibly be attached to the heavy furniture arranged along the walls, and on the polished floor wires could not escape notice. The number present, including home, was nine when all had arrived. All hands were on the table, but M. Alphonse Carr insisted on being allowed to break the circle, go under the table, or make any other sort of search whenever he pleased. This home made no objection to. Raps went round under the table, fluttering hither and thither in a way difficult to account for by the dislocation of the medium's toe or knee. The common explanation. I may remark that this kind of rapping is now so rare that I think Mr. Frederick Myers, with all his experience, never heard it. Mr. Aide was observant enough to notice that a lady had casually dropped her bracelet, though she vowed that it was snatched from her by a spirit. It was certainly removed from her lap and danced about under the table. Then, suddenly, a heavy armchair placed against the wall at the further end of the salotto ran violently out into the middle of the room towards us. Other chairs rushed about with still greater velocity. The heavy table then tilted up, and the moderator lamp with some pencils slid to the lower edge of the table, but did not fall off. Mr. Aide looked under the table. Holmes' legs were inactive. Holmes said that he thought the table would ascend and Alphonse Carr dived under it and walked about on all fours, examining everybody's feet. The others were standing up. The table rose three or four feet at highest and remained in air from two to three minutes. It rose so high that all could see Carr and see also that no one's legs moved. M. Carr was not a little annoyed, but as Sando could not have lifted the table evenly. Even if allowed to put his hands beneath it, and as Home at one side had his hands above it, clearly Home did not lift it. 
all alike beheld this phenomenon and mr aid asks was i hypnotized were all hypnotized people have tried to hypnotize mr aid never with success and certainly no form of hypnotism known to science was here concerned no process of that sort had been gone through and except when holmes said that he thought the table would ascend there had been no verbal suggestion nobody was told what to look out for in hypnotic experiment it is found that a if told to see anything not present will succeed b will fail c will see something and so on though these subjects have been duly hypnotized which mr aid and the rest had not that an unhypnotized company or a company wholly unaware that any hypnotic process had been performed on them should all be subjected by any one to the same hallucination by an unuttered command is a thing unknown to science and most men of science would deny that even one single person could be hallucinated by a special suggestion not indicated by outward word gesture or otherwise we read of such feats in tales of glamour like that of the goblin page in the lay of the last minstrel but psychological science i repeat they are absolutely unknown the explanation is not what is technically styled a vera cosa mr aid's story is absolutely unexplained and it is one of scores attested in letters to home from people of undoubted sense and good position mr myers examined and authenticated the letters by postmarks handwriting and other tests in one case the theory of hallucination induced by home so that people saw what did not occur was asserted by dr carpenter f r s dr carpenter who was a wondrously superior person wrote the most diverse accounts of a seance will be given by a believer and a skeptic one will declare that a table rose in the air while another who had been watching its feet is confident that it never left the ground mr aid's statement proves that this explanation does not fit his case dr carpenter went on to say what was not true a whole party of believers will affirm that they saw mr home float in at one window and out at another whilst a single honest skeptic declares that mr home was sitting in his chair all the time this was false dr carpenter referred to the published statement of lord adair dunraven and lord lindsay the earl of crawford that they saw home float into a window of the room where they were sitting out of the next room where home was and float back again at ashley place s w december sixteenth eighteen sixty eight no honest skeptic was present and denied the facts the other person present captain wynn wrote to home in a letter printed with excisions of some contemptuous phrases by madame home and read in the original m s by mr myers he said 
I wrote to the medium to say I was present as a witness. I don't think that anyone who knows me would for one moment say that I was a victim to hallucination or any humbug of that kind. Dr. Carpenter, in 1871, writing in the Quarterly Review, Volume 131, pages 336 to 337, had criticized Lord Lindsay's account of what occurred on December 16, 1868. He took exception to a point in Lord Lindsay's grammar. He asked why Lord Lindsay did not cite the two other observers, and he said, what I doubt, that the observations were made by moonlight. So Lord Lindsay had said, but the curious may consult the almanac. Even in a fog, however, people in a room can see a man come in by the window and go out again, head first, with the body rigid, at a great height above the ground. Mr. Podmore has suggested that Holmes thrust his head and shoulders out of the window, and that the three excited friends fancied the rest, but they first saw him in the air outside of the window of the room. Nothing is explained in this case by Dr. Carpenter's explanation. Dr. Carpenter, year 1871, discredited the experiments made on home by Sir William Crookes and attested by Sir William Huggins, because the latter was only an amateur in a branch of research which tasks the keenest powers of observation, not of experiment while in the chemical experiments of sir william crookes the ability he displayed was purely technical neither gentleman could dream that there are moral sources of error alas dr carpenter when he boldly published in eighteen seventy six the thing that was not proved that a scientist may be misled by moral sources of error in 1890, in Proceedings of the SPR, Sir William Crookes published full contemporary accounts, noted by himself, of his experiments on home in 1871, with elaborate mechanical tests as to alteration of weight, and recorded Holmes feats in handling red-hot coals, and communicating the power of doing so to others into a fine cambric handkerchief on which a piece of red-hot charcoal lay some time beyond a hole of half an inch in diameter to which home drew attention the cambric was unharmed sir william tested it it had undergone no chemical preparation into the details of the mechanical test as to alterations of weights, I cannot go. Mr. Angelo Lewis, Professor Hoffman, an expert in conjuring, says that accepting Sir William's veracity and that he was not hallucinated, the phenomena seem to me distinctly to be outside the range of trick, and therefore to be good evidence so far as we can trust personal evidence at all of Holmes' power of producing motion without contact in inanimate bodies. Sir William himself writes in the year 1890, 
I have discovered no flaw in the experiments or in the reasoning I based upon them. The notes of the performances were written while they were actually in course of proceeding. Thus the table rose completely off the ground several times, whilst the gentleman present took a candle and, kneeling down, deliberately examined the position of Mr. Holmes' knees and feet, and saw the three feet of the table quite off the ground. Every observer, in turn, satisfied himself of the facts. They could not all be hallucinated. I have not entered on the spiritual part of the puzzle. The communications from spirits of matters not consciously known to persons present, but found to be correct. That is too large a subject, nor have I entered into the case of Mr. Lyon's gift to home, for the evidence only proved, as the judge held, that the gift was prompted at least to some extent by what home declared to be spiritual wrappings. But the only actual witness to the fact, Mrs. Lyon herself, was the reverse of a trustworthy witness, being a foolish, capricious, underbred woman. Hume's mystery, as far as the best of the drawing-room miracles are concerned, is solved by no theory or combination of theories, neither by the hypothesis of conjuring nor of collective hallucination nor of a blend of both the cases of sir david brewster and of dr carpenter prove how far some scientists will go rather than appear in an attitude of agnosticism of not having a sound explanation note since this paper was written i have been obliged by several interesting communications from a person very intimate with home nothing in these threw fresh light on the mystery of his career still less tended to confirm any theory of dishonesty on his part his legal adviser a man of honour saw no harm in his accepting mrs lyon's proffered gift though he tried in vain to prevent her from increasing her original present End of chapter eight the strange case of Daniel Dunglas Home. Recording by Fame Mendoza.